James chapter 1, as if there was any doubt, James chapter 1. Um, we've been going kind of slowly through these last several verses of the chapter, and tonight we're finally going to get to start putting it all together. Uh, it should be up on the screen for you as well. Um, James chapter 1, we're going to look at verse, we've looked at verse 21 and 22, so just a quick review through those, and then we'll, we'll get into 23 through 25 tonight. Um, James chapter 1, verse 21 uh, says this, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. I'm going to read it again. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. So we, we spoke last week about... You know, the, the point of verse 21 is that we're supposed to receive the Word of God. We're supposed to receive His Word. Your life, look, look at me real quick before we start taking notes. Your life depends, your eternal destiny depends on what you decide to do with this book. Will you receive it or will you reject it? That, you, you, the, the point of your life changing or staying the same depends ultimately on what you decide to do with this book. Will you receive it slash accept it? Some of your versions say accept it, or will you reject it? Verse 22, right? So receive the word that is implanted. Then verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. So verse 21 says you have to accept or receive the Bible. You have to accept or, uh, or receive the word of God. And then verse 22 tells us how to do that. If you cracked open the word receive or the word accept, what's it made of? It's two things, according to verse 22. You've got to understand it, and then you've got to act it out. You see what I'm saying? You've got to hear the word, you've got to understand what it's saying, and then do what it says. How do I apply this to my life? I can't believe I'm saying this, but Listen to what Shia LaBeouf says, guys, and do it, right? Does that make sense? Like, I lost some of you there, and I gained some of you there, and that's okay. Um, but just, but how do I apply this to my life? Do it. Do it. That's what James is saying. There is no creative, cool way to apply. You apply it to your life by doing this. How do you accept or receive the word? By understanding it and then acting it out. When we do those two things, that's when the Bible starts to reorder us and transform us. When we start understanding what this book says and then acting it out, that's what begins to finally change our lives. You can go to all the conferences and concerts that you want. You can get lost in your Christian feels all you want. Sometimes that's a good thing. But life change only happens when the scripture is heard and obeyed. Life change only happens when the scripture is heard and obeyed. The world has been flipped over hundreds of times throughout history by men and women who read the Bible and went, oh my gosh, I've got to do this. That's what keeps the world turning, generation after generation. That's what gives the world its only hope, generation after generation. Life change only happens when Scripture is heard and obeyed. And now we get into verse 23 through 25. We'll read 23 through 25, then I'll reread 23 and we'll talk for just a little bit, okay? Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer... 
He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. 23, one more time. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. So the word for to look here, okay? So to look, he's like a man who looks at himself in the mirror. To look here means to carefully consider. So you've got this guy, the, the, the problem is, right, he's hearing the word, but he's not doing it, right? He's hearing it, but he's not doing it. This seems to suggest that he's not listening very well, right? That's what it seems to suggest. He's like someone who looks in the mirror, but this word for look, again, you may want to circle it, my type A's, you circle it and you, you, you write in, right? It means to carefully consider. So this guy's not just sprinting by the mirror, right? On his way to, to, to work or whatever, right? He is carefully observing. And this is important because James is telling us that this person is listening hard and still not obeying. That's the, the key here. That's the difference. This person is carefully considering. And because sometimes we think, that's why you don't obey the Bible, because you don't read it deeply enough. Can that contribute? Sure it can. But James is saying something deeper here, and this is important for you to understand. James is saying, this guy is reading the Bible intently. He's looking carefully, and he's still not obeying. And for some of us, I think we might feel, since I'm not a theologian like Zeb, I can't, I, I'm not, I can't get deep enough to obey the Bible. And if I can't get deep enough, if I can't understand, then what's the point of even reading it? James doesn't link those two. He doesn't link how smart you are or how well you read with how well you obey. You see that? He doesn't link how well you read with how well you obey. Of course it helps to study it harder, but this guy is carefully considering his reflection in, this, in the mirror. Think about what it means to carefully consider the Bible or your face in the mirror. We might look at it closely, right? We might look at it repeatedly. We might, you know, we might adjust the angle so we can see ourselves better. Doing all these things. In James's day, most people had the Bible read to them, okay? That's important to remember. So these people are hearing the letters of Paul, they're hearing the Gospels, they're hearing the Old Testament, and they are considering it carefully. The people in James's analogy are just like you and me, for the most part. People who carefully consider. You guys have your notes out. You're ready to rock, right? People who want to know what the Bible says. A man who carefully considers his face in the mirror. Now, this is important for James's analogy because he's looking in the mirror. Now, think about it. A mirror, and then think about the Bible, right? A mirror is not something that you just look at. We don't look at a mirror the same way we look at a TV. A mirror is something you look at with a specific purpose. A mirror is something, remember he's comparing the mirror to the Bible. A mirror is something you look at to see more of yourself in it. You see what I mean? 
A mirror supplies you with knowledge about yourself that you cannot get on your own. You see that? You can't, right, you can't pop them out and look and see what you look like. A mirror supplies you with knowledge of yourself that you cannot get on your own. In the same way, stop writing for just a second, look at me. In the same way, the Bible does this for our souls. A mirror supplies you with knowledge about yourself that you can't get on your own. In the same way, the Bible does this for our souls. Without a mirror, you will never be able to figure out clearly what you look like in front of other people. And the Bible is the only way you can figure out what your soul looks like in front of God. Does that make sense? Without a mirror, you will never be able to figure out what you look like in front of other people. And the Bible is the only way you can figure out what your soul looks like in front of God. Just as a mirror is a chance to see a physical reflection and apply changes to it, the Bible is a book for moral reflection and application to it. Just as a mirror is a chance to see physical reflection and apply changes, the Bible is a book for moral reflection and application to it. The Bible is the only tool given by God that you can use to see what your soul looks like in front of him. And let me, let me just kind of fill you in because we don't think like that. We default into, well, I think I'm doing okay, or I think I'm terrible. Why? Because I think that. Oh, well, then it, well, then it, it must be right. You who dropped your keys in the toilet again, you're the one who thinks I need to make the best call for how my soul is doing. God has given us the only key. Listen to Jeremiah 17.9. Jeremiah 17.9 says this. The heart, that's your heart and my heart. Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Your heart, my heart, the number one condition of our hearts before, before lust, before anxiety, before all these other things that we try to define ourselves as is deceitful above all else. If this is true, if your heart is deceitful and my heart is deceitful, then you will never be able to fully understand yourself on your own. Do you see that? You're playing with broken tools. You're using broken equipment to try to figure out yourself. You need equipment from someone else to figure out yourself. It's like trying to solve a Rubik's Cube that's fighting back as you try to solve it. Why should you join a small group? Why should you join a Bible study where other people can look at you and your soul? Because you'll never be able to see yourself on your own. You'll never be able to see yourself on your own. You will never be able to see your own soul without the mirror of the Bible. And what happens when we look in this mirror? Verse 24. So let's read 23 and 24 together. For if anyone, together meaning like that, not all of us, and you get it. All right. For if anyone, thank you, Warren. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. He looks into the mirror. Remember, to look is to carefully consider. 
He looks in the mirror. He's carefully considering God's word. That's good. He's carefully listening as Ryan teaches it. That's good. But then he forgets. He saw what he looked like. He saw the changes that needed to be made in his soul, right? He felt that conviction. He felt that pull. He felt that challenge. He felt that encouragement maybe that he needed. The reminder that he is God's chosen son or daughter and that he shouldn't let anxiety or depression define him or her. That he's been forgiven or, or, that, or that God is, is angry when he commits these sins and he must repent of these sins soon, now. He hears the conviction. He hears the encouragement. And then he forgets. The word of the preacher leaves his mind as soon as he leaves the building. Or the words in her quiet time fade from her mind as soon as she gets off the couch to go do the rest of her day. Notice this seems very natural. He just forgets. She just forgets. It just leaves her mind. I want you to look back at verse 21. And we're going to start putting this together. Look at verse 21 of James. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word, the Bible, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. God takes his word. This means to be planted from the outside. You don't do this. God plants his word within you. What does that look like? What does that, I mean, does he get the shovel and like, do we, what do we do? What's happening here? Part of what this looks like, part of, put it in perspective what we just read. Part of what it looks like when God implants the word into your soul means we don't forget it. That's part of God implanting the word into your soul is, is a byproduct of that implantation is that you don't forget. Now, not, not that we memorize it word for word, but becoming a Christian is a grace-based journey. It cannot be done without God's grace moving in your life. And one of the ways God's grace moves in, get ready, get your Instagram out, right? One of the ways God's grace moves in your life is not through a miraculous healing, is not through a vision in a dream, or, or, you're, or you're sitting in your dorm room and your couch bursts into flame, but it's not consumed, right? And the voice comes out, right? No. Listen, one of the ways God's grace moves in your life, listen, is when he causes the word you read or the word you hear to leave a mark on your soul so that you can take it with you and you don't forget it. One of the ways God's grace moves in your life is when he causes the word you read or the word you hear to leave a mark on your soul so that you can take it with you now. We talk, you know, sometimes people get a little too obsessed with spiritual warfare, angels and demons, etc. And I told my students this too, but so often, so often the Bible is teaching us spiritual warfare is not what happens to you in your great aunt's weird attic, right? That's not what this is. Spiritual warfare happens to you when you're in this chair. Tonight and on Sundays, is the word being implanted into you? Is it leaving a mark on your soul? We've done this before in James, and we're going to keep doing it. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 10.16. Hebrews 10.16. And just as a reminder, 
God is talking about the new covenant. What happens to Christians? Hebrews is just before James, okay? Just before James. Hebrews 10, 16. This is what happens to Christians, okay? This is what it looks like for Christians. And God is speaking here. Hebrews 10. Now think about the word being implanted, leaving a mark on your soul. And look at what he says here. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law upon their hearts. I will write my word on their minds. I will write my word on their hearts. Now apply that to James. You're going to naturally forget it. You're going you're gonna to forget what's been spoken to you, what's been preached to you, what you've read. You're going to naturally forget it. And notice the point here is the heart. This isn't just about the mind, okay? This isn't, of course you're going to forget things, but your heart forgetting what the Bible says is so much more serious. But in God's grace, he writes the law, he implants the word on your heart so that you will never forget it. You naturally forget things, right? Keys in the toilet, you naturally, it's not going to work, guys, it's not. But God in his grace implants it, writes it on your heart so that it's stuck there and you can't forget it. So that long after your Sunday afternoon lunch, long after your Sunday afternoon nap, long after the next day of school or work, the word, the teaching of it is still running around in your mind, marinating on your heart, molding your soul. Listen, for a Christian, God doesn't just put his word in our heads. He implants it on our hearts. That's grace. That's the grace of God, implanting the word on a forgetful soul so that she will never forget it. Implanting, writing the word, writing his law on a forgetful heart so that he will not forget it. There's a song, uh, there's a hymn, right? You go, Zeb. There's a hymn, Amazing Grace, right? Um, no, sorry, <laughs> different hymn, uh, super impactful, right? Uh, come thou fount, right? Come thou fount of every blessing, uh, to my heart to sing thy praise. There's a part in it that says, um, bind my wandering heart, right? Bind it like a fetter. That means a chain. Bind my wandering heart to thee. My heart is prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, right? Prone to wander. I lean towards wandering. If you just leave me to choose God or someone else, I'm going to lean away from God. So since I'm prone to wander away from you, chain me to you. That's what that hymn is talking about. And in the same way, God chains us to him by writing the law on our hearts so that we, like if you get a tattoo, you're not going to be able to and get it, it's not gonna work. You're not gonna be able to get it off, right? No soap and water, it's not gonna work. It's gonna be a disaster, it's gonna be awful, right? And in the same way, when God writes his law on our heart, it's not gonna go away. His grace is going to chase after us. Now, look at verse 25 of James chapter two. Uh, excuse me, James chapter one, and then we'll be, ha <laughs> two, yeah, right. James chapter one, and then we'll, we'll wrap up here. James chapter one, verse 25. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, 
but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what is. Now, you might expect, because he just used the mirror thing, right? Just did the mirror analogy. And then he says, so the one who looks at the mirror but forgets, blah, blah, blah. But the one who looks at, you would expect him to say, the one who looks at the mirror and acts accordingly, but he doesn't do that. He drops the mirror analogy in 25, and he just starts talking to us straight. It's like he's saying, look, forget the mirror. Let me just say this to you as straight up as I can, right? The one who looks intently, and he doesn't call it the mirror this time. He calls it the law of liberty. I love that. James is referring to the Bible here. This is the, the law of liberty and the word in verse 22 and the word in verse 23. It's the same thing all the way through. So if you want to draw circles and connect those dots, it's the same thing. The Bible, and he, but he calls it the law of liberty here. The law that gives freedom, the NIV. The law that sets you free, NLT. This is awesome. This word freedom, the law of liberty, the law of freedom. What does this mean in the New Testament? couple things. Freedom from the misery of a broken world. Freedom from the miseries of a broken world. Not that, listen, not that we won't have them, but we can know that ultimately they will never have us. Freedom from the miseries of a broken world. If we lean into his word, the word that's been implanted on our hearts, if we start doing what the word says, you're going to find freedom from the misery of this world. Listen to me, those of you who, who anxiety is all over, depression, stress. If you start to lean in to what he says, you will find freedom from that. Not that you won't have it, but imagine the hope in knowing that ultimately it will never have you. It also means freedom from the law of Moses, namely the Ten Commandments. Not that we're no longer required to obey. Forget it. Not that we're no longer required to obey them. But because of Jesus, we will never be condemned by our failure to obey them. You see the difference? We're freed from the Ten Commandments. Not that we don't have to obey them anymore. We certainly do. But now we are no longer, because Jesus has taken our place on the cross, we are no longer condemned by our failure to obey them. Do you see how, do you see how obeying the word is proof that Jesus' resurrection has mattered to you? So many people, we want the freedom that Jesus gives us on the cross, but we don't want to obey his word. It's like a two-sided, it's like a coin. You have to have both sides of it. Obedience to his word is what shows that his word has saved you. You, are no you no longer have to do this. You no longer have to go to hell. That's what that means. Freed from this. As one commentator puts it, the man reads the Bible and he finds therein a law of liberty and not slavery a law of life and not death. It means freedom from sinful lusts, which means freedom to fight back against the pornography addiction that plagues you. Freedom, listen, freedom to step into a difficult situation even though anxiety is desperately trying to keep a foothold in your life. Speaking the lies to you, you now have the power to step into that weird situation that you're anxious about anyway. It'll still be there, but it doesn't. You see how it doesn't define you anymore? You can now step into these things that you were once so afraid of. 
Freedom to stop and calm yourself even when anger is screaming in your head. Freedom to love someone else more than yourself. You will finally be able to start doing these things, not perfectly, we talk about this all the time, not perfectly, but consistently. When you start leaning into the teaching of the Bible, guys, look at what Jesus' death and resurrection has given us the power to do if we will commit our lives to him. So often it's like, I love Jesus, but I'm not crazy about the Bible because it's a bunch of rules. People who think that are not looking at it the correct way. The, the law of liberty, the law of freedom, obeying these laws will make you more free. It will make you better. It will make you feel better. Imagine Tim Keller uses the example of a fish. We think freedom means that fish should be able to get out of the water and walk wherever, I don't know, he wants, right? But the problem with that is he's not designed for that total inhibited freedom like that. He's designed to be free in the circumstances he was created for. And so often we're trying to break out of what we were created to be free in. We are created, the fish is created to flourish in the water. We are created to flourish under God's word. I don't see a lot of fish in the water like, oh, this is so awful, this is so oppressive. No, they enjoy breathing, right? So often we think the law of God is oppressive and James doesn't see it that way. It leads to freedom. Look at verse 25, a couple more things and then we're out. Verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. The one who, can, who looks to the law of liberty and abides by it. This word means continues in it, remains in it. See, so it doesn't fade after Sunday. The one who continues in the law, it remains in us by God's grace who abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This literally means in Greek, one who becomes a doer of work. How does this apply to my life? James is saying, I'm literally spelling this out as clear for you as I can. Be a doer of the work. Do what this book says. Do what the book says. Last part, and this man will be blessed in what he does. This word for being blessed means several things, but I want to close on one. When James talks about blessing here, one thing he means is the blessing of obeying God. This whole thing has been about obedience, and now it says he'll be blessed. The blessing of obeying God. Will there be a blessing from our obedience that we get later? There certainly can be, but James is not talking about being blessed for your obedience, he's talking about being blessed by your obedience. Not being blessed for it, the reward. You did good, therefore you get this. He's talking about being blessed by your obedience. The fact, listen, the fact that you are obeying God means that you have been blessed by God. The fact that you are obeying God means that you have been blessed by God. So often we think of the blessing of peace, the blessing of money, the blessing of health, the blessing of safety. 
but you want to go deeper with God, start asking for the blessing of obedience. I know God's with me because I'm healthy. I know God's with me because I'm safe. I know God's with me because the rent check came through. Those are all fine and good, but the big way you know you're blessed, the big way you know God is with you is if you obey Him. You know money's in your account when you can pay for things. You know health is in your bones when you feel good, but you know God is in you when you start putting your sin to death. Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, think about it, and in all he does, he will be blessed. Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. He says they're blessed, and then he doesn't give them anything. So how are they blessed? The only way that verse makes sense is if the gift is the obedience Have you ever thought of obedience as being a gift from God? Obedience being a byproduct of His grace towards you. Not the things you get after you obey, but the ability itself to obey Him. See, this is what it is. This is why preaching stop doing this and start doing this doesn't work, because You can't do that. Be a Christian for more than 11 minutes and you'll see it's not going to happen. It is a gift of God's grace that enables us to do these things. The more we pursue Jesus is the more Jesus is working in us. They will know they have been blessed by God when they obey God. God gives us the strength to obey He implants the word in our heart, and he's the one who keeps it there, allowing us to grow in him and obey him. It is all by his grace. So, what do we do? Are you you working to receive the word that has been implanted? By God's grace, are you working this out? Are you hearing and then trying to do what you hear, what you read, what you understand? It is all His grace. What a great love this is. Let's pray.